0: Let's bow together in prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful truths portrayed in all of our music this morning. We've been worshiping in the Spirit. You have touched our lives through music. We thank you for those gifted to lead us, Micah and the team here. But thank you, Father, that there is a melody in our heart and that, Father, we are to rejoice. And we rejoice that we are a, a child of the King. That we are free. We are free indeed. And it's because of what our our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, did for us upon the cross. Father, we're reminded in Romans what the Apostle Paul said, for now there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we have been set free. Because as Jesus was Died on that cross, we also died on that cross. And as he will be resurrected, so we will be resurrected as well. So may we claim that truth today, that truly we are free. We are free indeed. May your Holy Spirit just speak to us in these next few moments. We just pray, Father, for the, the illumination of your Holy Spirit. You've given us the revelation from your word. Now illuminate our minds only through the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and to be our guide. And this is our prayer in His name. And the people of God said, Amen. Recently, I read an article about artificial intelligence and how that they are taking our human voices and uh, listening through the artificial intelligence, through the computers and all that goes into that, that they can actually reproduce our voice and make a sound uh, in uh, this way that it's not us literally doing it physically doing it but a machine like a computer is actually doing that there was a documentary on a particular man who has already um, uh, had died and they were showing a lot of things that he said in his lifetime but it was caught by those that were smart enough to catch it that artificial intelligence was used to make him say things he never said in his life now, when we look at that, we just marvel at special effects. And uh, there was a, a, you know, kind of a, uh, an explosion of that after the Star Wars movies back in the 1970s. And from that time forward, just an explosion of special effects. And it's an, it's an amazing, those special effects. But think about this. While this is something that is neat, that you have artificial intelligence that can take your voice. A year ago, they would have to listen uh, to 30 minutes of your voice to be able to duplicate that voice. Now, 3.7 seconds by the Japanese. In 3.7 seconds of you talking, then they can reproduce that through the artificial intelligence. And again, while we may marvel at that, there's going to be danger in that because then they can make people say on, on whether it be TV or Internet or whatever, they're going to be able to have people say things they really didn't say. And you think about how fast-moving social media is. And the danger of that, well, that's, that's another subject for another day. But what I want to remind you of is, again, the marvel of technology. It is, it is amazing. But this morning, we're going to be studying a passage of Scripture that, to me, is more powerful than anything that has been developed or being developed now or will be developed in the future. And that is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he stood on Mount Tabor and there, he had this, what we call the mountaintop experience. We call it the transfiguration. On the screen, you're going to see a picture of Mount Tabor. And uh, as, it is, as it is portrayed, they're looking just east of Nazareth. You're on top of an of a area that is called the prefaces where uh, it was believed that Jesus was taken out by those that were in Nazareth, and they were going to throw him off a cliff. And so looking from that mountain, you're looking back toward the east, about 15 miles away, and that is Mount Tabor. So open your Bibles, and let's study this from Luke chapter 9. It's found in Matthew 17, it's found in Mark 9, but we're going to look at Luke's passage and study this this morning. And as you think about this transfiguration, and probably for most of us here, we're familiar with this story. We may have heard it preached or taught. At least we've read through the Bible and New Testament. You've read about it. But can you imagine what it must have been like for Peter, James, and John? What it must have been like for them to have seen Jesus transformed. Transfigured is the word there. But transformed in that moment on top of that mountain. And then to have Moses and Elijah also to appear. Again, nothing we've ever experienced or will experience could ever duplicate. And so my question for you this morning is going to be as we, as we go through this message, through the scripture, have you seen the glory of the Lord? That's what Peter, James, and John saw. That's what Jesus was experiencing. But have you seen the glory of the Lord? Well, let's begin, first of all, with the revelation, the revelation of this experience. And we're going to begin in verse 27. That kind of gives us a little running start into the passage of Scripture. In Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 27, it says, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, folks, I believe that this was fulfilled in what we're about to study It says, some of you, and I think that's talking about Peter, James, and John, not all the disciples, not all the believers. But I believe it was fulfilled because the very next story is about the appearance of the kingdom of God, about Jesus shining forth. And so I believe this was actually fulfilled in those men. And we're going to be told they weren't supposed to share it until a little bit later on, but they experienced it in this passage of Scripture. So in verse 28, we read in the Revelation... About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him up onto a mountain to pray. Well, let's stop there and just think. Eight days. Eight days after what he just said. But eight days after being in Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was just to the north uh, of of the area of Galilee from the Sea of Galilee. And this is where he had this conversation with uh, his disciples. Uh, they're at the very foot of the, of the Mount Hermon, and, and the question was asked by, by Jesus' disciples, who do you say that men say that I am? Well, what are people saying about me? And they give an answer. Then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, most of the time, being the spokesman, very impetuous, being the spokesperson, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirms that and talks about Peter and on his faith, the church is going to be built. And so it's a beautiful statement there. And then Jesus is going to go on. He's going to predict his death and he turns his face toward Jerusalem. So that's what's happening here. Eight days after Jesus has said all of this, he's made his way to Mount Tabor, just 15 miles away from Nazareth. And he is going up, the Bible tells us, he's going up to pray. Notice, any time Jesus was about to do something or to experience something great, it was preceded by prayer. Think of all those times that something great happened when Jesus prayed or after he prayed. And so he's going up to the mountain, it's important for him, and he's going up there to pray. Verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed... And his clothes became as bright as a flash of light, of lightning. So here we see this glory of Jesus being expressed in verse 29 as, the, as his face changed, all right? And his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Now here with his 18, Peter, James, and John, he's up there and all of a sudden there is some changes taking place. There is his face, first of all, it is changing. And the word change there in the Greek is the word metamorphosis. And from that word metamorphosis, we get our word, English word, transformed or transfigured. We know about metamorphosis. We know about a caterpillar uh, that uh, will uh, turn into a butterfly. And that is a metamorphosis. In the same way, metamorphosis means something on the outside is showing a difference of what is coming from the inside, so it's a change from inside out, and that's what happened with Jesus. Jesus, all of a sudden, was uh, emanating light. His his true presence, his true uh, essence, was now coming out through light and his clothes the light was just coming out from inside of him and so there there was an amazing change in the life of Jesus at this particular time and let me tell you there's nothing that could ever duplicate that there's nothing that you could ever have seen in the past or seen in the future there's no special effect that could ever duplicate What has happened? I know that we have been conditioned, especially uh, our students amongst us and our children, because they have seen things that most of us did not grow up seeing through the through through video games and just number of the special effects. But if I was standing there, and that was to happen in my presence two thousand years ago, I, I would I would be speechless. My mouth would have dropped as well. And I would have been amazed. If that happened right now, I believe the same thing would happen with me. I would be just speechless. My mouth would just drop. And and I would probably be like the disciples, though it's not stated in this passage, in one of the other passages, just fall to my feet and prostrate my face to the ground in the presence of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a revelation that is being shared with us in this passage of, uh, of the Scripture. It, we're seeing the glory of the Lord. We're seeing the glory of Jesus. We read in Hebrews chapter 1, 3, the writer said, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact represent, representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word now I admit that I'm a, a Trekkie fan we've talked about Star Wars and Star Trek and I came up in that generation as a as a young adult and I enjoy uh, enjoyed those movies and and whatever especially the early Star Trek and when you when you had William Shatner and Leonard Des Moines and all of those that were part of the the Star Trek Enterprise and I remember some of those episodes and it was duplicated in later Star Trek movies and you've seen it in all different kind of space movies. But you would have an alien who would take on the appearance of a human. That alien would take on the appearance of a human. But eventually, the alien would revert back to his natural habitat, his natural environment, his natural body. He would revert back to that. Somewhere in, the, in that episode, you would see his true essence for 33 years jesus's true essence was hidden he was in a disguise he was fully man and fully god but in the 33 years he limited himself to being man but for these few moments on the on the top of mount tabor we find that jesus revealed His true essence. All was revealed. The word revelation means to pull back the curtain. That's what God did with His Son Jesus. He pulled back the curtain for a few moments so His true essence could be seen by all that were there so it could be documented by Peter, James, and John so that they might know this and that they might be able to refer to it later on. Remember the Christmas angels? as they are hovering over the shepherds it says the glory of the lord shone around them and that glory was the glory of god shining here we see the glory of god shining through his son we see the glory of jesus fully man but fully god some of you are familiar with the word the kind of glory of God the Shekinah glory the word Shekinah is a very good Hebrew word but it's not found in the scripture at all but it came to be a word that is used to describe this because it speaks of a dwelling that which dwells and we know that the light of God dwelling in his son dwelt amongst us for those 33 years and that eventually we will be back in his presence where we will see that true Shekinah glory of God. So I ask you the question, have you seen the glory of, of our Lord? Have you seen his glory? Most of us, what we think of when we talk about Jesus, we think of, of a man who maybe has long hair, has uh, the, the brown beard, the brown eyes. Uh, the, the tan of a Middle Easterner a Jew we think of that's what we think of when we think of Jesus and that's okay to think of him in his human form but think of him in his essence right now in the very presence of God you're finding Jesus there in the right hand of the throne of God he is light what we see on Mount Tabor is what he's experiencing at this particular time he is the true glory as described in that passage uh, from Hebrews chapter 1. That's what they were talking about, talking about the true essence of our Lord. He was in a disguise here, but now fully in the presence of his Father. There's a lot of conversation about what does Jesus look like? What, what, what was his face? And you know, across the world, and we still see it, we find people always grabbing for these, these images of our Lord Jesus Christ, these spiritual images. I, I read one that uh, a, a person was working with tortillas, and they saw the face of Jesus in a tortilla, how it, was, how it had been baked and how, how it was tanned. Or someone made some toast, and the toaster, the way it, it, it burned into the toast, the heat into the toast, it was the face of Jesus. There was one woman that claimed she had a trailer, And she had this just wide open window, and when she turned her lights on at night, that it cast light onto the other trailer next door, and it was the face of Jesus. And people paid a a dollar a visit to be able to see that light in that face of Jesus. People are always wanting to know, what does Jesus look like? Well, go to the Scripture. Revelation chapter 1, uh, verses 14 and 16 reminds us of this, that his head... It says, white like wool, white as snow, his eyes are like blazing fire. Verse 16 says, his face is like the sun shining in all of his brilliance. That is what our Lord Jesus looks like. We read in Exodus chapter 33 that when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the law, there was a time when he wanted to see the glory of the Lord. And so he, he asked God, can't I see your glory? And God said, no, you can't see my glory. You see my glory, you'll die. But what he did do, he let Moses see the backside as the glory was passing. Hit him in the cleft of a rock and let him see the glory as it passed. And when Moses came down from the mountain, what did Moses look like? His face was shining as brilliant as the sun. The light of God had impressed itself on the very face of Moses. And so it is when we look at Jesus, Hebrews chapter uh, 1 speaks about this fact that the radiance of our God is reflected in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you the question, have you seen the glory of the Lord? I'm not talking about with your physical eyes, I'm talking about with eyes of faith. Have there been those moments in your life and your experience? Many of us have. All of us can see the glory of the Lord. Well, let's move on in our passage and let's see the guest of Jesus. We've seen the glory of Jesus. Let's look at the guest of Jesus beginning in verse 30. In verse 30 it says, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, splendor talking with Jesus. Many times I'm asked when I'm working with a family through grief, preparing for the funeral, or during the funeral itself, I'm asked by people, will we know our loved ones in heaven? And if I'm not asked, many times I will refer to it in my sermon. Maybe not every funeral sermon, but often. And the answer is yes. You're going to know your loved ones in heaven. They're going to know you in heaven. This is one of those passages that helps us understand Here, Moses and Elijah were recognizable. Jesus was recognizable. Lazarus and the rich man in Luke chapter 16 was recognizable. So the answer is yes, you will be recognized. Just as Moses and Elijah in our present passage, we're going to keep our identity. The unique personality that you are. And I did two funerals this week. And the one yesterday, I spoke about this very thing. That in death, we don't cease to exist. We continue on. We're going to continue on at a higher level. But we're going to continue on. So here in our passage, verse 30. Moses representing the law appears. Elijah representing the prophets appear. Verse 31. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, this is very interesting. They're talking about Jesus' departure. In other words, here, weeks, maybe less than a month or two, is going to be the experience you and I call the Passion Week. Jesus is going to ride into, on Palm Sunday, ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And then all the events of Passion Week leading right up to uh, Thursday, where he institutes the Lord's Supper. Friday, he dies on the cross. And Sunday, he's resurrected from the grave. And so they're talking about here his departure. There are many words in the New Testament for death. This is one of them. The departure. The Greek word is the word we get, Exodus. And you know what the Exodus is. We read, have a whole book about it in the, in the Old Testament. And it's when Israel exited out of, of Egypt and made their way to Mount Sinai. And eventually, 40 years later, they were in the Promised Land. Hear that same word, A departure. It means to leave a place. It means to go to someplace else. That's what death is. Death is leaving this world and going to another world into eternity, into the very presence of God. And here, Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about this. And I find this very interesting because remember their departures from this world. Let's look at Moses for just a moment. How did Moses depart from? From this world well we find that uh, in the the book of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34 uh, they are now have crossed and they're on the other side of the Dead Sea they're on the east side of the Dead Sea it came time for change of leadership God took Moses up to Mount Nebo even right now you can in Jericho you can look across the northern tip of the Dead Sea and across where the River Jordan, now just a little stream, empties into the Dead Sea. And you look over into what was known as ancient Moab, now Jordan, and the Moab Mountain Range. And you can see Mount Nebo. Our Linda and I were there two and a half years ago on top of that mountain range. And there's a monastery that is built there now. And the Bible says that when it came time for Moses to die, God buried him in one of the caves, and he was hidden. No one knows where Moses was buried. Now, later on in the book of Jude in the New Testament, it, it's, the Scripture records for us that there was a dispute, that Michael uh, had a dispute with the devil. They wanted to steal the body of Moses away. And probably God went ahead and raised Moses up so there wouldn't be a problem and, uh, and to stop that conflict that was, that was going on. But no one knows where Moses was buried. So that, that's how he died. He died a natural death and he was buried in a tomb. What about Elijah? What do we know about his death? Well, we read in 2 Kings chapter 2 about his death. We realize are his uh, being caught up actually not a not an actual death but a translation. The scripture tells us that he walked with God, and I can just imagine that he got so close with God and maybe walking toward heaven, and maybe God said to Elijah, "Hey Elijah, we're closer to my home than your home. Why don't you just come on up with me?" And so, in a chariot of fire and a whirlwind, God takes Elijah to heaven. He never died a physical death. Now, I I didn't catch this until a few years ago when I was reading something that uh, a friend of mine, David Dykes, uh, he was a Samford student. He was a student minister back in the 70s at First Baptist Prattville and pastored First Baptist Gardendale and recently retired from Green Acres uh, out in Tyler, Texas. But I was reading something that he had written about this passage. It was really interesting. And I had missed it. And to think about Moses dying a physical death buried in a cave someplace but resurrected and think about this folks he didn't get to see the promised land he didn't get to step foot in the promised land now on Mount Tabor he's he's on the promised land he's in it got to touch down there in Mount Tabor but he died a regular death and then Elijah he, he never died and he was caught up into heaven. Think about that. This is a picture of the second coming of Jesus. I, I used this uh, in, in a passage of scripture this past Wednesday in a funeral <coughs> that I did, talking, first of all, talked about Moses, how Moses died and he represents all of us as Christians that will die before Jesus comes again, his second coming. Remember this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet, the call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Moses represents all of us who will die before the second coming. All your family members, all your friends who are Christians who've already died, Moses represents them. And if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, Moses represents us in that. When we die, we know exactly what happens. Our, our body dies, but our soul or spirit, who the, the real person are, that, that which God breathed until he made you a living soul, that goes immediately to the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent the bodies, be present with the Lord. We know that's what's going to happen. But the body is buried in the ground. This week, again, two funerals, the bodies were buried. But one day, because they were Christians, those graves will be opened up, And there will be a new resurrected body that will come out and meet the Lord in the air. That is the promise that God has given us through Jesus Christ and our faith. We will be raised first. But then the scripture goes on and speaks about in the very next verse the experience that Elijah had. Remember Elijah, he was caught up. He never died a physical death. So in First Thessalonians four seventeen, we see something about those who will be caught up. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so at the Lord's return, He's going to raise those who've already died like Moses. Those who are still living, He's going to catch them up, the Bible says. And that word for Catch them up is the word that we get the word rapture from. You hear us talk about the rapture of the church. Well, that's the English word of the Greek word that means to be caught up. And Jesus will receive those who are alive in this very special way. Now, let me say a word to those of you who love biblical scholarship. You like word studies. Back in 132 B.C., Seventy men got together, and they translated the Old Testament into Greek. And that's called the Septuagint. And so the Old Testament in Greek, 132 B.C. They used the word, a, Hebrew, a Greek word, harperzeo, that means to be caught up. Guess what word Paul used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17? The same Greek word. The word that was used to describe Elijah being caught up is the same word that Paul used for those who will be alive when Jesus comes again. But the truth is this. Are you ready? Are you ready for that? That's the revelation. Let's look now quickly at the response as we close. The response begins in verse 32. Let's look at Peter's response. Peter and his companions We're very sleepy. Uh, Maybe this is just a forecast of what's going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane, all right? But understand something. Going up Mount Tabor, that's a long walk. You remember the picture? That's a long walk. Today you can go, takes you 10 minutes to go to the top by a car. You can't even get buses up there, but you can take cars up there. But it would have been a long walk. Maybe it was a long day. And, and so they're tired, maybe they're in a dreamlike state, yet they were sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Verse 33, as the men were leaving, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. I mean, what an understatement. <laughs> think about it it is good for us to be here let us put up three shelters one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah what he wanted to do was build a memorial to build um a shrine you know three shrines for Jesus Moses and Elijah he didn't know what he was saying <laughs> that often happened with Peter didn't it? there's sometimes he knew and he was right there's sometimes when let's just face it that that um he was just like a schoolboy, just kind of babbling on. When I, when I see this passage, I'm reminded as I thank God that he has patience. Our Savior has patience with me, with people like Peter, people, people like you. That he had patience. But I'm going to tell you what, this made such an impression on Peter's life. Listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow clever, devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So this wouldn't have made up stories, what he's saying. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard His voice that came from heaven when we were with Him, on that sacred mountain, Peter never forgot this wonderful experience that he had. Let's look, continuing on, let's look at God's response in verse 34. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared <clears throat> and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Again, the Shekinah glory of God, the brilliance of God, re- hiding all of his glory by a cloud and they entered into the cloud a voice came from the cloud god saying this is my son whom i have chosen listen to him someone has said this might have been a general rebuke of peter listen to him we'll come back to that in a minute and then in verse 36 we find the response of these disciples When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Now, we're not told about Jesus' response at this particular moment. But over in Mark chapter 9, we're told that Jesus said as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Jesus didn't want the crowd uh, trying to make him a political king. Uh, Jesus didn't want this transfiguration, this transformation, to overshadow the resurrection. So he said, wait. And then the disciples' response in verse 36 was such that uh, they're coming down and they didn't tell anyone because in Mark chapter 9, verse 10, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone. Don't tell anyone right yet. And then the disciples also are speaking about the rising of the dead. But what about our response? What should be our response? Well, our response should be two things. Worship and serve. Please understand, this is a picture of many, many truths. First and foremost, I think it it is a preview of the second coming of Jesus. I think that's why Moses is there and Elijah is there. They're they're representing the the two uh, aspects of our Christian faith. Those who've died in the Lord and are waiting. Those who will be alive when he comes. So I think that's primary. I think it's primarily the fact that Jesus is, we're seeing his true essence, his glory. But another part of this, I believe for you and me, our response ought to be just like Peter, James, and John. One of the other passages in the gospel said they they fell down. They fell down in worship. And folks, we can worship anytime, anywhere. It's not just a time, a formal time when we come together at 8.30 and 11 o'clock on Sunday morning but it's anywhere, anytime, wherever you are. You can worship God. I've been blessed by worshiping God in many places like you, on a mountaintop, a a lake, a beach, um, in my office, walking up and down the halls at church. There are many times when I would be there and be no one else around. I'd be singing the hymns, singing the choruses. Um, I'd be praying. I'd be thanking God. I'd be wanting to worship I remember one of my great experiences years and years ago was was traveling down i-65 and i was traveling down to to mobile and and i had an opportunity of of listening to some wonderful tape music some musicals that our students had done and i remember one particular one called the witness a guy you probably remember that old one called the witness with peter james and and john involved in that we had three young men and in, in Enterprise at Hillcrest and, and great young men of God all three of them in ministry and serving God and God just touched me and I just started crying just started crying because of the message the gospel message of Jesus we can worship anytime, anywhere notice, notice what Jesus said or, or God said he said this is my beloved son and whom I have chosen this is the one I love listen to him It didn't say, this is my beloved son, talk to him. It didn't say, this is not about prayer at this particular moment. We are to talk to God. We are to talk to our Savior. But here it says, listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. That's part of our worship, is it not? We worship in spirit and truth. And we're listening to the word, and God's speaking to us. He spoke to us through the music this morning. He's speaking to us now through the preaching. We need to be listening, then a part of that listening is then there's a response in our worship worship is not fully complete until we respond and sometimes it's in our mind sometimes it's in our heart and 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 surely it will be in our actions that we respond in our worship experience bart starr the great quarterback for the green bay packers tells the story about vince lombardi the legendary coach The legendary coach from time to time would just say the word sit. And Bart Starr said, when the coach said sit, you didn't look around to see if there was a chair back there. You sat down wherever you were. And you listened to what he had to say. Our Lord Jesus Christ does that in our time of worship as well. That we need to be listening. Now folks, mountaintop experiences. In fact, there's been a lot of research done. Where did we get that expression, mountaintop experiences? And, and probably came from this passage. But don't we love mountaintop experiences? I love them. I've been there. You have been there as well. And whether it's been in a worship service, whether it's been a musical presentation, a dramatic presentation, wherever it has been, they are awesome. I distinctly remember as a student, eighth grade, 10th grade, and 12th grade. I don't know how it all worked out symmetrically, but it did. These were student retreats. There were other student retreats that our home church had. But I can distinctly remember God impressing in each of those. I can remember a time in 12th grade when I believe the Shekinah glory of God came down in a student retreat to begin a school year in September of 1966. That was my senior year in high school. And we were in a, in a camp that was not too far off what we know today as the Turnpike in Florida, not just north of Orlando, near the Turkey Plaza. There's a Turkey Lake Plaza that is there. And not too far, just on the other east side, uh, in in an orange grove, there's a retreat center. I can distinctly remember on a Friday night, Saturday morning, the glory of the Lord coming down on youth group, and the difference it made in our youth group, and the difference it made that school year. And just a few months later, feeling God's hand upon me, that I went to a church-related vocations conference in Tampa, that Florida Baptists were sponsoring. And I made public my call in ministry. We've all had those mountaintop experiences. Sometimes, it might have been a revival. It might have been a men's retreat, a ladies' retreat. Uh, again, so many different venues where the glory of the Lord can come down. But we're reminded in this story that while those are great experiences, we can't live on the mountaintop all the time. I know of churches that try to replicate that week in, week out, week in, week out. Trying to replicate those feelings, those experiences. And that's what they spend the majority of their time doing, trying to replicate. But there's something else that Jesus demonstrates for us that we need to do. And that is, we've got to come off the mountaintop and we've got to serve. There's the valley and we've got to go back into our valley and we have to serve him. That's what verses 37 through 43 is about. We'll not take time to read it. I hope you will. But you may remember the story. Jesus came down off Mount Tabor. And the other nine disciples are there at the bottom. And they're trying to heal a boy of, of epilepsy. And, and they are failing. And Jesus comes to the aid, speaks some wonderful truth. And he heals the young man. And he tells and They ask, why couldn't we do this? He said, this one comes by prayer and fasting. But it was a reminder we come down from the valley. We have to serve. God has a calling for each of us. And the glory of the Lord is not only seen in those mountaintops, it's seen down in the valley and the faces of people when you are ministering in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you seen the glory of our Lord? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are, are truly grateful for our worship experience. We thank you for this day and how you have spoken in a marvelous way. We pray that our spiritual ears, our spiritual eyes have been open to all that you want us to hear this day, this hour, this service. And we praise you for the uniqueness of your Holy Spirit that speaks. And our responsibility is to be listening. Father, there's a time to speak. There's a time, as we had in our service, of praying. And you want us to bring all our cares to you. But Lord, help us never to forget a time of worship and then the opportunities of service. Thank you, Jesus, for the transfiguration, a preview of the second coming and a pulling back so we could see your glory. It was hidden for most of that 33 years. But you gave us a glimpse of what it's going to be like in your presence in heaven. And Father, there are times you give us glimpses in our experiences, whether it be worship publicly or privately. But may we also, Father, not be guilty of wanting to replicate those mountaintop experiences all the time be mindful to let them naturally occur as you speak and we open our hearts and lives. And then, Father, may we be faithful to serve you in the valleys that we live in. And there are so many opportunities around us. Open our eyes that we may see glimpses of truth you have for us. Bless this time of invitation as you speak to someone who may need to make a public decision Or maybe a private decision. As your Holy Spirit woos them and speaks to them, may they yield. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.